I have a delicious secret. The Limestone Coast's Hidden Secrets. It is time for a brand new Limestone Coast Hidden Secrets podcast. And today, guys and girls, I have got an exceptional bloke to talk about. Uh, caves in the Limestone Coast. Josh Richards joins me for a chat. Josh, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, Josh, you have done some amazing things in this world, but you you came to cave diving because you were here in the Limestone Coast. How did that all take place? Uh, so I, I came out here. I've been scuba diving uh, since I was about 11 or 12. Um, so I've been at it for 25, 26 years now. <laughs> but I, it had always been work. For me, so I'd been a, a military diver for a bit. I taught um, scuba to people in the Middle East and like all sorts of different places, um, but it was always work. And so I think it would have been about 2019. I sort of went, you know what? I'm going to finally learn to do something with scuba diving that I am actually interested in, that I want to do. And ever since I'd been a kid, I'd been fascinated by cave diving. And uh, Mount Gambier is the place to do it. It's the cave diving capital of Australia. And so I came here and learnt to cave dive, and I've kind of you haven't you guys haven't been able to get rid of me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> keep keep coming back like some sort of disease. I can't stay away, so it's great. So tell me about the first cave you uh, you jumped into and took a look around in, because that that would have been an awesome experience for a start. Yeah. So the the very first sort of uh, areas when we first start learning to cave dive, um, essentially you start at what's called basic cave. And they're not really caves, if I'm brutally honest. Uh, they're really steep-walled lakes. So locals will be familiar with places like Little Blue, uh, Golden Sinkhole. Um, there's a few others kicking around, but they're not really caves. Um, they're generally sinkholes. Places like Killsby Sinkhole, absolutely stunning, but not really a cave as such. Um, a bit of overhead, a bit of an area where, you know, if someone got themselves in trouble because they went too deep or used too much air, they might hit the ceiling and get into a, a bit of a scare, but you're not deep inside a cave network. Mm. Um, the first, I suppose, real cave that I went into um, is Allendale. Uh, so the, the cave in the middle of the road, uh, heading down just, uh, just south of Allendale Township itself. And uh, essentially you, you park on one side of the road, you put your gear on, you waddle across the road um, to the, the this this fenced-off area in the middle. I uh, crawl down a, a, a scree pile, get into some crystal-clear, beautiful water, and uh, you go scuba diving in a cave in the middle of the road. And that was the first time I entered a, a proper cave site where as soon as you left the surface, uh, you were relying on your lights. You're, you're in the dark. You're following a guideline. Uh, you couldn't turn around and see you know, sunlight above you or anything like that you were actually in a proper cave. And uh, some folks love that sensation. Um, some folks decide that it's not for them. And I was part of the first group. I was part of the ones who went, you know what, this is exactly what I want to be doing and where I want to be. Josh, tell me about some of the caves that we have in the Limestone Coast because that's the bit that fascinates me. We we know that Mount Gambier is, is synonymous with cave diving. It's one of the best places in the world to cave dive, but we don't know an awful lot about the caves. And that's, that's a shame, to be honest with you, because this is an absolutely extraordinary area. So the short version is uh, millions of years ago, we had volcanoes here in, in the limestone coast. Um, 
those volcanoes, the the movement of the rock shifted the limestone up above the water level. And so through the millions of years, tens of thousands of years, all the rainfall has slowly eaten away at the limestone and formed things like solution tubes. And where that water has hit uh, harder rock or it's hit other water that's running through the rock already, you start to have these spider networks that form. So a great example that we've got is uh, is Thungi, is the, the cave gardens in the centre of town, uh, where huge amounts of water coming in off the roads flows into this sinkhole, and that water then filters away. Uh, obviously, we've got the Blue Lake as well. Um, that was very much formed by volcanic processes rather than what I'm talking about. But all the water through this whole region kind of filters through to to the Blue Lake and then heads out towards the ocean. So when people go to places like Ewan's Ponds, it's actually a resurgence of all of the groundwater uh, that's been moving from town out towards the ocean. And it's popping up with this crystal clear, beautiful fresh water popping up and then forming rivers, things like Eight Mile Creek heading out to the ocean. So the whole region is, is riddled with caves. We kind of had two specific regions, um, and the two different regions have different types of caves. So those steep-walled lakes that I was talking about, the sinkholes, mm-hmm. things like uh, the, the Blue Lake, uh, Killsby Sinkhole, uh, the Black Hole, Gordons, all of those, they're one region. They're really the, the southern region, so south of town, and they tend to be a lot deeper. Um, we have Australia's deepest freshwater cave at the shaft, and it's in that same area as well. Um, and you're essentially dropping through a hole in the ground that's maybe a metre wide, and you're dropping into something that's about the same size as the MCG. So it's wow. an enormous hole underground of this crystal clear, extraordinary water. Uh, but all of that is to the south of Mount Gambia. Uh, it's between Mount Gambia and the coast. Yeah, the other area that sort of more experienced more technical cave divers get very interested in uh, is to the northwest, um, and it's where I spend most of my time. Uh, so we go exploring places like Tank Cave, and Tank Cave gets its name because it was basically a hole that popped, that sort of developed underneath a water tank, and someone squeezed down into it. And in the in the 20 years since it was sort of thoroughly ex- or properly first explored, uh, so far there's about well, there's roughly eight kilometres of passage um, that's been discovered under there. So that's an enormous spider web of all these interconnecting tunnels, uh, just, yeah, extraordinary areas, much more complex. So rather than being very deep, uh, getting down to sort of 130 metres in the case of the shaft, we're only talking about maybe getting to 20 metres of depth, but very, very extensive horizontal development. So being able to swim for a kilometre straight in one direction um, without getting to the surface again. And Josh, is, is Tank Cave essentially the largest cave that we've got in the limestone coast? It, it's the largest we know of. Um, one of the curious things about cave divers is that uh, we tend to be a fairly secretive bunch. <laughs> um, and when people find things, they don't necessarily share things. The best of our knowledge, and fairly safe to say at this point, um, Tank Cave is certainly the largest that's been found so far. That said, um, obviously, uh, we, we had a fairly major announcement late last year um, with another cave uh, sort of suddenly becoming much, much bigger than people knew about. Uh, so Engelbrecht's Cave in the middle of town 
uh, all of a sudden there was a bit of an announcement, which um, obviously I was involved with. Um, I was the I was the lead diver on the exploration. I was going to say you um, and a couple of mates found it. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say there's there's our little team, the soggy wombats, uh, <laughs> who like to like to squeeze into dirty holes and sort of scratch around. And uh, the, the team's actually here at the moment. We're all down in Mount Gambier doing some more exploration in other areas that I, I won't go into. <laughs> um, but uh, we, were the, we were the team who essentially found what's now known as the Engelbrecht's East Extension. Um, and so, yeah. Josh, just with that, I mean, you guys spent, from what I understand, like a number of years working out that extension. So we knew about it. My a really good mate of mine uh, and I, Matt and I, we were the first two to sort of find the lead. What's what we would call a lead. Uh, we went to Engelbrecht's East. We were brand new, qualified uh, cave level divers. So not advanced cave, but we were cave level divers. So we were allowed to go into Engelbrecht's East. Most people dismissed Engelbrecht's East as just a, a small hole. Like yes, it's an experience as a diver to go and do it, but it's not a particularly big sort of cave, you'll duck down, you'll swim maybe 25, 30 metres, you pop up in an air chamber and that's it. You come back again and it's a lot of work to walk down, you know, four, five flights of stairs carrying all of your gear and then have to walk back for what is essentially a, a 10 minute dip. Um, but Matt and I went and did it. Uh, we went and checked it out in late 2019 and we wanted to have a look at it properly we wanted to explore it ourselves we'd heard that there might be a little bit of water at the far end and so we clambered over 50 60 meters of rock um, found this little bit of water at the back climbed down into it and as we're swimming around i shone a light up towards the ceiling and saw a reflection uh, sort of a reflection that none of us had expected and went and checked out that reflection and it turned out to be a surface lake that led off to more dry cave and we checked the maps afterwards, but we already knew that we'd sort of found something that people probably hadn't found previously. Uh, we went back. I think we were back there a week later. Uh, took some more heavy-duty gear, gear that wasn't going to get torn up by the rocks, and squeezed in. And, um, yeah, started to find what has eventually become the Engelbrecht East Extension. So, realistically, things uh, went very quiet over COVID. Mm. Um, I was caught over in Victoria. Um, it was during that time that Matt ended up getting work down in Antarctica, so he was wow. down there for two years. Um, so things went quiet there for a little while. Um, I brought on other divers, and we started to explore it more substantially. And what initially was maybe a 25, 30 metres swim, um, we then added more than 400 metres of tunnel onto the end of that, and we're still looking. We're still fairly fairly confident that there's more there to find. Um, the challenges of getting in there are quite extreme, um, but it's worth it. And we're essentially finding tunnel that's running under the heart of the city. Um, we're fairly confident that the tunnel that we're exploring at the moment in Engelbrick's extension is heading towards the cave gardens. And they're about 800 metres apart, and we're fairly confident we'll find some way to get in at Engelbrick's and get out at the cave gardens if we wanted to. Hey, Josh, you bring up an interesting point, mate. I mean, we know that there are caves and, uh, and wet caves all the way across the limestone coast. Um, do you think we've found all the caves that are around? Uh, no, and, no and, and how... not even. <laughs> not even remotely close. <laughs> See, 
And that's why I asked somebody who's a specialist. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> There's there, So at the moment, in terms of active caves that get uh, dived in, at least, um, I think maybe we've got a, a dozen. Like, it's, it's definitely less than 20. There's not a large number that are dived in. Um, beyond that, there's sort of three, roughly in the 100 to 200 range that we know of that are worth climbing into as dry caves. Um, and folks like the Cave Exploration Group of South Australia, which I'm part of as well, um, they come down here, they run tours, and they go and explore those dry caves. Um, the reality is this whole region is developing. It's a very young, active geological region. And so we have solution tubes form up. Um, there's all this stuff going on underground all the time. And the only time we find these things is when a hole opens up and someone climbs down into it. And you could be finding the next tank cave. Uh, you could have something that's, you know, eight, ten more kilometres long. Uh, but the only way into it is a tiny little hole that has suddenly popped up on some farmer's paddock. Um, and unless someone crawls in there and goes exploring, um, we'll never know. So, no, there's there's no doubt that there's tens of thousands of caves in this whole area. Uh, many of them will connect up to each other. Many of them are part of the same networks. Uh, but we're on farmland. The vast majority of this area is used for, for cattle grazing um, and for dairy. And so farmers like to have fairly smooth, um, well-kept farms. They don't like big holes opening up in their cattle farms. And so um, things tend to get smoothed over quite a bit. So we usually find the holes that we get into in places uh, in the forest where they're a bit better protected. And often where folks going through when they're logging, uh, they won't want a bulldozer to accidentally fall down a hole. And so they'll mark off an area and say, hey, there's something here. Um, and then the folks from forestry will sort of say, well, hey, there's a potential cave here. Who are you going to get to explore it? Josh, the guys from Griffith University were down here over the course of the, the last couple of weeks. They've been down with a paleontologist. Uh, some divers have been down as well. They've been looking at a number of the caves in the region, including Inglebrick. Um, it's, it fascinates me that we can pull uh, material out of our wet caves that can be hundreds of thousands of years old. And... It, the truth of it is we, it's rare that we actually see those fossils. So those fossils are, are very highly protected um, and cave divers are trained from a, right from the start, uh, you don't touch a fossil. Um, so it is, it is specials like Julian Luz, uh, who's been down here with the Griffith team um, to go and check those things because there's a huge amount of scientific data that can actually be gotten from the position of the bone uh, before someone touches it. So it's not just a case of, you know, oh, I found a bone, pick it up and bring it out. Um, they lose an extraordinary amount of data just by the, the bone being moved. The positional data helps them a lot. And so we're taught very early on, if you see something, report it, but don't touch it. Um, you do see a lot of fossils uh, in the rock. So we see seashells. Um, there's a very popular site called Pines, uh, Pines Cave that's in a in the middle of a pine forest, and when we get into the deeper areas of pines in particular, uh, you'll often see sea urchins. Um, you'll see spines of sea urchins. You'll see all sorts of seashells and things embedded in the rock as well. 
um, because the limestone we're diving on is essentially uh, the remains of ancient aquatic animals. It's all the, the bones, all the calcium deposits uh, from these dead sea animals uh, forming the sea floor that's then been pushed up by volcanic action. So uh, we do see quite a bit in terms of actual bones, especially megafauna, uh, like the giant wombats and giant kangaroos and things like that. They're a bit rarer. We definitely don't see very many of those. And that's why those areas are so well protected. Um, so the, the Griffith team were primarily looking at uh, those that megafauna that are tens to 100,000 years old. Um, the things that we tend to see are usually much, much older but much smaller. So seashells and sea urchins and all that sort of stuff. Still blows my mind, Josh. Still blows my mind. <laughs> it's still weird. It's very strange to be diving in a pine forest and see sea urchin needles poking out of the ground like that's that's definitely an odd thing even for me <laughs> Josh, the uh the name of the podcast is livestock coast hidden secrets and and i am sure there are people who have no idea about some of the things that we've talked about already but are there other hidden secrets that you can tell me about the caves that you dive in and the the world that you inhabit that a lot of us will never ever get to see the, I suppose the, the biggest thing is you may not see it, um, but it is underneath this all the time here. And one of the biggest, I suppose, missions that I have is to try and share what we see um, with the general public. So a lot of the time I spend is surveying these caves, and then from those surveys we can then produce maps that then overlay with the streets of Mount Gambier. So one of my earliest projects after we announced the Engelbrecht's East Extension uh, was to survey it and map it and then be able to show the satellite image. And so people people who were seeing this being announced went, oh, that's my house. Like, your cave runs under my house. And the reality is there's undoubtedly hundreds of caves running under Mount Gambia, um, under people's homes. So it's, it's getting people to think, I suppose, in three dimensions rather than just going about their everyday life and going to work and doing this and the other. Um, there's a whole other world running around under our feet as well. Um, I suppose that's the, that's the thing that I, I love the idea of people taking away is that there's so much more out there to explore and discover um, and it's metres away. It's just under our feet in the case of Mount Gambia. Um, and if folks do find holes uh, in farms and things like that, give us a call. Like, we'll, we'll go down there. We'll, <laughs> we'll get out a camera. We'll, we'll show you what it's doing. Um, it's not about, our group in particular, it's not about um, fame or notoriety or anything like that. It's about being able to explore this hidden world um, and share it with folks who have no interest in crawling into god-awful muddy holes, um, people who are fascinated by it but will never do it themselves. Um, that's, I suppose that's the biggest thing for, for our group is being able to share the experiences that we have and allow people to sort of understand the world that's running around under their feet. Now, Josh, another question I've got to ask, we go back to the Engelbrecht Cave for a moment because um, the work that you guys have done there is amazing. Um, we talked probably a few months ago now about the possibility of a link between the the Engelbrecht Cave and the Cave Gardens. Will we yep. see a, a link from that? Are you a betting man? Do you think that's going to happen? And, and I, will there I, also be a link between there and Umphiston? So, unfortunately, Umphiston's on a separate fault line 
And one of okay. the big things for us, I'm a like I'm I'm originally trained as a physicist, um, and I worked in mining, so I, I did a fair bit on geophysics. And the reality is, Umphiston's on a different fault line um, that won't necessarily connect. Uh, however, what got us very excited right from the start was the fact that the fault lines that we're following in Engelbrecht's lead directly to the cave garden, um, and that's why we've always talked about the possibility of a connection. Um, where we are exploring in Engelbrecht's extension at the moment, um, I'm without giving away too much, uh, there's one particular area inside the southern branch um, where I strongly suspect we're back on that fault line heading straight towards Cave Gardens. Um, it's not entirely clear at this point, and to get in there is pretty heavy duty. It's uh, It's not just hard work physically to get there, but it's very testing um yeah there's a there's a lot of squeezing and a lot of uh pushing against rock just to get where we were talking about and then to push it even further um yeah it's going to be a little bit uh, a little bit stressful if i'm brutally honest <laughs> um, but that's like if one person can find their way through um and find another tunnel on the other side that opens back up that gives other people the incentive to follow behind. And as as we go, the reality is um, divers do have an impact on the cave. Um, and as more people go through a particular area, it grinds away the limestone a little bit. Um, we try and be as gentle as possible, but things do get a little bit easier for the people who follow. And so, yeah, I, I think there's a very good chance that we'll connect uh, Engelbrecht's East with the cave gardens. Um, it might take a long time. We do have about 800 metres of linear distance that we need to cover to connect those two caves. Uh, but all the indications are is there's some sort of physical connection between the two. Um, the few maps, it's very hard to get accurate maps for the cave gardens themselves. Um, I'd love to get into the cave gardens and explore that as well and try and find a way coming from the opposite direction. But the few maps that we do have suggest that there is something in the northwest corner pointing back towards Engelbrecht's. Um, that will physically connect the two. So um, I'm I'm optimistic. I might be deluding myself, but I'm <laughs> optimistic that there's that there is something there, and we're going to keep looking. We're going to keep hunting, and the hope is that other people will join us in that search as well. Um, our soggy wombat team might have been the one that sort of found the the first big extension, um, but there's the hope that other people will come along and sort of pick up the baton and and push further and and find what could be uh, an even more impressive cave than what we've got at Tank already. So we'll see. Josh, I am over the moon that I got to talk to you again today. You and the <laughs> Soggy Wombats are doing an amazing job, and I cannot wait Thank to you. talk more about <laughs> cave diving in the future, mate. Thank you so much.